Thank you. Hello. Good, good, good job. Good job. You answer. I love it. Hallelujah. Well, welcome to Sisterhood. We're so happy to gather together in the presence of the Lord, aren't we? Yes. And welcome to those watching on, online. We're so happy that you could join us and catch this wonderful word of God. We're so blessed to study and to be receivers and participants, learners, children of God together in the sisterhood. So this is lesson four of our semester so far. We are cultivating the soil of the heart today. And I wanted to point out to you this bouquet that Beth already mentioned. I brought it as a visual. I wanted to, um, to remind you that God's design for our lives is that we would produce and that we would flourish and that we would be fruitful. I want it to be a visual that would be beautiful. And I realize for some of you, it's far off in the distance. You don't see the details and the intricacies and the colors and each one so unique and so lovely. But in fact, he designed us to, to be those that grow and to plant his, his, his seed in our hearts so that that seed grows in the soil of our hearts and produces a bountiful, beautiful harvest for his glory. It all starts in the soil. Before these flowers were cut and put in a vase, they were growing in fertile soil. Amen? And we're going to talk about the importance of fertile soil today. So put your hand on your heart, please, and say, the soil really matters. And that's your heart. So here we go. In Mark 4, Jesus taught the parable of the farmer scattering seed. And as I read this, as you follow along with me in the scripture, Mark 4, 3 through 9, I want you to pay particular attention to the four types of soil that Jesus mentioned. So here we go. Listen. This is Jesus talking. A farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. And still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So let's understand this parable. The farmer that Jesus speaks of represents a preacher or a teacher of God's word. The seed represents the word itself. And then the soil types are actually an analogy for various conditions of the heart. So now, keeping that in mind, with that being said, let's review those four soil types and also look at some pictures to help this come alive. The first soil that Jesus referenced was that of the footpath. This soil is hard-pressed. It's been heavily walked on over time. The second, shallow, rocky soil is soil in which roots cannot go deep. When things heat up, the plants die. Third, Jesus talked about the thorny soil, which eventually chokes out anything that's planted there. And the fourth soil that Jesus referenced was that fertile soil. 
Fertile soil sets up the seeds to win. <laughs> Those seeds will sprout and grow and produce a harvest. Now, after Jesus got this far in the parable, his disciples must have been scratching their heads because it wasn't quite making sense. And so they said, could you please explain a little further? And he did. Again, reference these as I speak. Jesus said this. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. And that seed fell on the footpath. Sorry, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. This is referencing hard hearts that don't receive the word. Jesus went on to say, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. That's the heat. Problems. Persecution. Jesus went on to say, the seed that fell among the thorns represents Others who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. The effects of the world, worry, fear, the lure of worldly things choke out the word of God. And then he went on to say, and the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word, and produced a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Just as good soil will always receive the seed, hearts that are healthy and conditioned and cultivated will always receive the word of God. I want to point something out to you. Pastors and preachers and teachers have the responsibility of bringing forth God's uncompromised word, of planting the seed into the soil of their disciples. But they do not have the responsibility of cultivating the soil or making certain that the hearts of their disciples are in good condition. That responsibility belongs to the learners themselves. Said another way, friends, we can't overlook this truth. The soil of our hearts is our responsibility, fully our responsibility. Proverbs 4.20 says this, My son, attend to my words. Consent and submit to my sayings. Let them not depart from your sight. Keep them in the center of your heart. Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard. For out of it flow the springs of life. Consider the many, many things that we guard in life. If you're a mom, you've learned to guard your children. We talk about mama bear coming out, yes? <laughs> right. We monitor their cell phone use. We, we consider carefully who their friends are, what they're doing in their free time. We guard with vigilance our children because we love them. We guard marriages and other relationships. We set up boundaries. We, we make sure that we have time to connect with people that we love and value. We protect those relationships with all vigilance. We protect, protect our job security. We get there early. We stay late. We want to remain employable and do our very best. What else do we protect with vigilance? Our finances. 
We seek godly counsel what to do with the monies that we have, perhaps, or purchase a security system for our house, for other property. But see, the Bible says, as much as these natural things are important, above all that we guard, we're to guard our hearts. Above everything else, guard our hearts. Why? Why does it matter? What do, what, why does this matter? The condition of our hearts. God wants so much for our hearts to be really good soil. Fertile ground. Fertile and cultivated and healthy so that the word that is sown into us by our pastors and our teachers and just time spent alone with the Lord, that that word, those seeds will produce a bountiful, beautiful harvest. That's his whole intention. All right, so how do we do this? How do we cultivate the soil of our hearts? There are three main points that you have in your, hand, in your booklets. First, we draw near to hear the Lord. That's one way. Secondly, we accept and receive his word. And third, we obey what he says. So number one, cultivate the soil of your heart by drawing near to hear the Lord. You know, something I've come to really love about God is that he doesn't scream at me. He doesn't intimidate me. He's not harsh with me. He's not condescending and he's not intimidating. He doesn't do this. Why? He is love. All of that is not part of his character. God is love. In order to hear his loving word, in order to hear that still small voice with which he speaks, we have to position ourselves close enough to hear a whisper. Imagine in the natural, if there was someone whispering to you over in the corner, you would not be able to hear them. You've got to actually get closer. In week one, Pastor Becca taught about this. She said that you need to exercise your faith to become a listener. Do you remember that? She said we need to develop our ability to listen to the Lord. And this starts by drawing near to be saved initially. You see, everything that I'm saying Every sermon that you'll hear on a weekend, every time you come to sisterhood and hear the word of God taught, everything about the words that are coming forth, all of this is predicated on being spiritually alive, belonging to God, being born again, being in relationship with Jesus. That's the first initial thing. And so I want to invite you to have that conversation. Table leaders, just make real sure that everyone has made that decision and prayed that prayer that is that is explained to us in Romans 10, 9, and 10. Because once that happens, once we receive Jesus as our Lord, his Holy Spirit takes up residency in us. And he's the teacher. So if you've struggled to make sense of the word of God without a relationship in Christ, that's natural. I had the same thing happen to me. I'd try to read my Bible, but it wasn't until I became alive spiritually that the word of God actually became seed in my heart, made sense to me, and came alive. Once this has gone on, we then should fully expect to hear his voice. Why do I say that? Because that's what the Bible says. John 8, 47 tells us whoever is of God and belongs to him hears the truth of God's word. Hallelujah. John 10, 27 says, the sheep that are my own, Jesus is speaking, the sheep that are my own hear my voice and listen to me, and I know them, and they follow me. In John 18, 37, he says, everyone who is of the truth, who is a friend of the truth, and belongs to the truth, hears and listens carefully to my voice. Clearly, children of God, 
are given the capacity to hear God's voice. Isn't this amazing? What a blessing. We should be more excited about this. We can hear his holy voice. That makes me excited. So what is it? To cultivate the, the heart with this, with this regard is to tune in to him. We need to tune in. Say tune in. Now, many of you may not really know what that means. And what I mean by that is that you're a lot younger than I am. Many of you are a lot younger than I am. And I want to share a little story from my past. I was a little girl growing up in the 70s, 1970s, in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And my, one of my brothers was John playing football at the University of Michigan. So I'm in Wisconsin. He's in Michigan. And my mother would pack the rest of us in the car, and we'd drive through the night to get there. We were faithful. We would get to Ann Arbor and cheer for the Wolverines. My big brother was a hero to me. But when they didn't play in Michigan, they played far away, mom pulled out the transistor radio. Mm -hmm. And so every Saturday, she'd pull out the radio. It had an antenna and it had two knobs. It had a little knob for the volume and a big knob to tune in the proper station. And I would tell you, I would watch my mother and she would tune and tune and just tune and do her very best, but it never failed. Every time we had the game on, this is what we heard. Like that. That's static. And there was a man's voice faint in the background behind the and you kind of go, wait, are the Wolverines winning? Are they losing? Did I hear my brother's name? You know, it was so distracting and so obnoxious and so frustrating. It was noisy and loud, and it went on for three hours or more. Now, I don't understand radio waves. I don't understand sound. I really don't understand how technology makes that whole thing happen. But it sure seems to me like things have improved dramatically because now music comes from a cloud, and when I listen to Spotify, I don't have any static, right? But let me just tell you, just trust me, those of you that don't know about tuning in, static stinks. Why am I talking about this? You can see the metaphor. If we're not careful, we're trying to hear the voice of God with all sorts of static. So let me ask you this. What static is there in your life as you draw near to hear God's voice? Is it the cell phone and cell phone or other noisy interruptions? We got the watch, we got the phone, we got the tablet, we got the computer. We got the puppy howling and barking beside us. Guess what? We need to set those things aside. They will all still be there 30 minutes later, I promise. None of them will vanish. And some of you maybe have little children and you're thinking, Kristen, you just don't understand. And I'm just gonna tell you, I do understand. We had three children in four years. And there, it is entirely possible, it really is, to train your littles to appreciate a quiet time for themselves. It takes a little diligence, and it takes a little hard work, and it might take a popsicle or two, but it is possible and actually good for them. What else causes static? Is it that you've filled your calendar so full that you do not have, literally, another, uh, you know, enough time? You do not have time to sit down and enjoy his presence and read your Bible. I would tell you to learn to say no. Or maybe learn to crucify your flesh and just get out of bed an hour before the family does. I'm, I'm just saying it, we have to figure this out. We have to figure out how to do the one thing that is needed. In Luke chapter 10, Martha was complaining. 
that Mary wasn't helping her. She's hosting this gathering, and Jesus is there. And Jesus told Martha, Martha, Mary's doing the one thing that's needed. What was Mary doing? She was sitting at his feet, listening. Think about that. He said, one thing is needed. But I need to scroll. And I need to, and I need to, and I need to. No, he said one thing is really, really needed. And as we prioritize him, seek first him, he somehow aligns all the rest of the stuff. He puts it in order for us. Hallelujah. Once we draw near and we're listening, we cultivate our heart soil even further by accepting and receiving his words. You may think this sounds a little bit redundant, like a repeat of the drawing near, but it's really not the same thing. Let me ask you, have you ever been up close to someone and you're engaged in a conversation with them, but while you're talking, you have a strange sense that they're just not really paying attention? Hmm? And then it's proven because they ask you a question that you just talked, you just gave the answer 30 seconds before. And suddenly it occurs to you, and I was right, they are not listening. That's such a yucky feeling. It's such a dishonoring feeling. And yet, just because we draw near enough to hear the Lord doesn't mean that we necessarily accept and fully receive what he tells us. It's very possible for us to be lazy listeners where the Lord is concerned. Or what about this? Selective listeners. We'll take part of what he says, but mm, that other part. We're selective He's speaking. We need to tune in to hear him. We nurture the soil of our hearts when we make the decision to accept God's word as truth and then receive it personally. Here's the thing. God's word, it really is true. And to really live the life that he intends, to really live in such a way that we bear fruit and thrive and flourish. We have got to make a decision to put the word of God above everything else. Above how we feel. Above what things look like. The circumstances of our life. We just put it up over. We just put it up over. We, and if it helps you to do this physically from time to time, I'm putting my word over this. There's an ugly situation in my household. I'm putting the word of God over it. Find the promise. Find his truth and put it upon your circumstance. Hallelujah. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.20. For as many as are the promises of God in Christ, they are all answered yes. So through him, we say our amen to the glory of God. What this is saying is, number one, God has a role. And his role is to keep his promise. We know he's the promise maker. He's also the promise keeper. Secondly, our role is to say amen to his promises. Do you know what amen really means? Do you guys know? Amen means so be it. It's like a stamp of approval or agreement upon something. Think about when Mary was told by the, by the angel of the Lord, you are going to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit of God. No sexual intercourse. You're going to bear a child and you're going to give him life and his name will be Jesus, the Savior of the world. Do you know what she said? She said, as you have spoken, let it be unto me. Boom. That's her amen. That's her so be it. Did it make sense? 
<laughs> no, but she put her amen on it nonetheless. It came to pass, didn't it? The soil of the heart is made more fertile when we decide to accept God's word, despite how little sense it might make. We say amen. And in addition, then, fully receive his truth into our hearts. Proverbs 4.20. I referenced it before, but this, this is the New Living Translation. My child, do you hear his love for you? My child. My child. Pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. I find that when I put my name in God's word, the truth penetrates a little more deeply. For example, when I need assurance, I add my name to Jeremiah 31.3. And so what was, I have loved you with an everlasting love, becomes this, Kristen, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Or if I need confidence about a certain situation, I'll put my name in what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, and I hear him say, I am with you always, Kristen, even to the end of the age. As parents, my husband Keith and I have figured out that our children hear us better when we insert their names in our communication. Samuel, will you take the dog out for a walk? Come here, Emma, let's figure this out. Thank you for calling Noah. It's so good to hear your voice. Mm -hmm. When parents personalize what they say, children are more apt to receive the word into their hearts. And so it us. So it is with us and the Lord. Put your name in the scripture. Speaking of kids, children, let's consider Mark 10, 15. Jesus says this, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. A fertile heart is a heart that reflects the nature of a child. I'm going to say that again. A fertile heart is a heart that reflects the nature of a child. To live as children in God's kingdom. What does that mean? The heavenly kingdom right here. The Bible tells us we are citizens of his kingdom right now. In the kingdom of God, there is power of God. There are miracles signs and wonders of God. His light shines in the kingdom. There's courage and strength and fruit of his Holy Spirit in the kingdom. And to live as children in that kingdom, we need to stop overthinking. Can I hear amen? Come on. We need to become more simple-minded. We need to learn to be okay every once in a while with shrugging our shoulders and saying, well, I don't know how God's going to do it, but daddy said he would. That's what a child would say. I don't know how, but daddy said. I think about, oh my goodness, so many happy memories of vacations with our family when the kids were little. I planned them and Keith paid for them. It was a wonderful deal. 
but I want to compare the vacation perspective of a parent with the vacation perspective of a child. Here's what was on our minds as the parents leading up to the vacation. I'm going to go fast. Researching which city, resort, tourist attractions, and outings. Arranging flights to align with school vacations. Overseeing makeup work if necessary. Discussing prices, saving the money, paying the bills, arranging transportation to and from the airport. Booking the dog kennel reservation. Figuring out how to get the dog to the kennel. Arranging for the neighbor to bring in the mail. Check on the house from time to time. Buying new bathing suits because everyone is growing. Getting new, um, new sunscreen because that's wearing out and, and gets nasty after the year. We check the luggage and the backpacks to make sure it's suitable for all five of us. We're folding and packing all the clothing. We're gathering up all the toiletries. We're informing the extended family of our whereabouts just in case there's a mishap. And certainly trying to keep everybody healthy before the trip actually happens. Yes? Meanwhile, while these things are rattling through us, and we are aware that these are our responsibilities, you know what our children were aware of? You know what they knew? Here's what they knew. We're going on vacation! That's all they had to know, right? Childlike, simplicity. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -mm -mm. Childlike faith. Childlike faith. Keep it simple. Just keep it simple. We say sometimes, cut your head off. Just cut your head off. Just stop thinking about it and be like a kid. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know. Shrug your shoulders. It feels good. Just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to happen, but God said he's going to provide. I don't know how. I'm going to trust him. I'm being like a kid. It's kind of freeing. Nobody's doing this with me. There's a few. There's a few. Come on. Yes, 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 yes. Now, sometimes, and we know our Father in heaven is a good, good father, yes? And sometimes good, good fathers have to do things that we don't necessarily like, right? They correct and they discipline and they challenge their children. But when the Lord does this, when he's correcting us, we mustn't run away. No, no, no. We mustn't be nervous. Hold him at bay. Because in fact, it's a demonstration of his love. We love, so we discipline our children. It's the same thing when God is correcting. Hallelujah. We read this um, in Hebrews 12. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. See, his intention in correcting us and in cleansing us is to let us be drawn near to him, to be made holy, to be more like him. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, that's for sure, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We keep our soil healthy and fertile by letting God correct us and welcoming, welcoming his correction. And we understand it doesn't feel good. I mean, goodness, if the soil in the field could actually speak when the plow comes through, it would yell, ow! But afterward, when the seeds sprout and the seeds grow and there's a harvest and it's blooming and it's lovely, that soil would say it was worth it. Mm-hmm. 
Amen. The third way we make our hearts fertile is by obeying what God says. Obedience brings the harvest. In Galatians 6, 7 through 9, it says, You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, just the right time, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Here's our action step. Keep doing what is right. Don't stop, ever. Keep going. Keep doing what God says. Submit to the boss. Forgive one more time. Heed the pastor's counsel. Sit at the end of her bed again and listen to all the stuff even though you're exhausted. Help the one who thoroughly annoys you. Stop rebutting when authority directs you to do something. Humble yourself and just do it cheerfully. Declare victory over a seemingly hopeless set of circumstances and encourage yourself in the Lord. Every time you obey the word of the Lord, every time you follow his prompt, the soil of your heart is being made richer and more fertile and you're enabled then to produce a harvest for the king, a beautiful bouquet. It's, there's no other way. Hallelujah. In a recent sermon, Pastor Anthony Cox, who's pastoring at our city campus, he said this. It's so awesome. We cannot just believe the word of God in principle, thus denying its power. We must be those who live out what God is saying. Say amen. James conveys the same thing in James 1.22. Do you know this passage? He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I am sad to say there are a lot of people, lots of people sitting in churches across America who just think it's enough to get to church on Sunday. And clearly, I'm talking to a crowd that knows that's not the case. You're here. You wouldn't be here if you didn't think that. But to believe, to, for those that do believe, there's a, there's a deceiving going on. A person isn't a Christian because she sits in church or comes to a life group or whatever. She's a Christian when she's doing what the word of God says, putting it into practice. A lot of people can know the word. Satan knew the word. He spoke it even to Jesus. But he wasn't doing the word. Hmm. Some people only get to know Jesus to the degree that he is represented by us. Wow. When we do his word, the soil of our heart, because sometimes there's a cost, sometimes it hurts, and the soil of our heart is being cultivated. We don't see that behind the scenes, but Holy Spirit is doing a work in us that we don't want to not have happen. We need it to happen, and our lives then produce his fruit. So the people around us, when we go out into these dark places, they actually experience the light and the love of Jesus Christ. In John 15, 5 and 8, Jesus says this, yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. I know this is hard for some of you to see. I have here a cluster, a nice healthy cluster of grapes. 
And of course, with this passage, we know that this here could represent the branch. But at one time, this branch was attached to a vine, wasn't it? It was attached to a vine until it was cut and then packaged and shipped probably from South America somewhere to me in Minnesota. But I will tell you that the quality and the quantity, the quality and the quantity of grapes that you see here are directly related to how strong the connection was whoops, <laughs> of this branch to the vine. If that connection wasn't strong, this fruit would not have resulted like this. The key to living an abundantly fruitful life in Christ is to stay connected to him and to foster that connection. Hallelujah. This will only happen. We will only bear fruit if the soil of our hearts is fertile because that's where the seed gets planted and that's from where it grows. So let's do our part and draw near to hear the voice of the Lord and to thoroughly, completely, 100% accept and receive his truth and then obey what he says and produce a harvest. Amen? Let me pray with you. Can you put your hand on your heart? Father, I thank you, Lord, for my sisters in Christ. I thank you for the truth, God, that the soil really matters. Our hearts matter so much to you. And Father, I pray tonight for a yieldedness to your still small voice as never before. I pray, Holy Spirit, for your gentle nudge, your conviction, your guidance as never before. And I pray, Father, for obedience in these, your daughters, as never before. Thank you, Father. We give you our hearts and pray for your will to be done. Receive all of the glory, Daddy. In Jesus' name, amen.